Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. U.S. soccer has had some massive headlines in the last couple of weeks with some big blockbuster transfers, but I think loss in the shuffle is a bit of news. That's something that, as an American soccer fan, I've been waiting on for a long, long time. It has been reported that soccer is now the fourth most popular sport in America, something that maybe years ago it was a pipe dream for a lot of American soccer fans. And I brought on somebody who I think can shed a little bit of light into that journey of American soccer, a man who... Uh, has represented U.S. soccer as a player, uh, was uh, a part of the 1994 World Cup team, was an administrator at MLS, and of course has been a broadcaster and analyst for a number of years. Alexi Lawless, thank you for coming on. Welcome to YouTube. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, I'm, it's a pleasure to be on the show, and it's a pleasure to talk to you about you know the sport that we all know and love, especially in this context about where it's headed and the positive direction that it's headed. So you've been you've basically dedicated your life to the growth of this sport. What does it mean to you whenever you hear that soccer has passed up the NHL as the fourth most popular sport in America? Or I should say right. soccer has passed up hockey as the fourth most right. popular sport. Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's an important distinction. Um, you know, it warms the cockles of my redheaded heart. And, uh, you know, it's something that we have been working for. You know, decades and decades and decades. And by the way, just because you get a, a piece of good news doesn't mean you finally reach the summit. You still got a long way to go, and we still got a lot of work on and off the field. But you know, this this pushing of this boulder up the hill, which is what it has been for a number of decades, um, it, it gets a little bit easier. But it is still a uh, a labor, but a labor of love, as, as you know. And to see some of the um, you know the fruits of this labor uh, in the form of numbers when it comes to tv numbers when it comes to people playing the game uh also you know just just in general the um the perception of the uh, of the sport and the acceptance of the sport out there i think that that all of that contributes to the success of soccer in the united states with with this understanding that it's always going to be uniquely american because of our unique background and history with all the other sports all the other leagues and that's okay. That's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that it can't be the most popular sport in the United States, but it's always going to have this American flair. And that's actually something um, that I think we can actually lean into and, uh, and really use to our advantage going forward. But this is nice. And we just keep, we not, just keep knocking them off one, one by one. And, you know, it's important you, you mentioned, just I'll finish with this, the distinction between specific leagues relative to popularity, as opposed to specific sports relative to popularity. You know, I, they're, there are lots of people out there that skate and play hockey. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're huge fans of the Detroit Red Wings or the NHL or something like that. And we always say when it comes to Major League Soccer, something we talk about a lot, it's not that Major League Soccer doesn't have soccer fans in the United States. It's that Major League Soccer doesn't have enough MLS fans in the United States. Mm -hmm. So this is in totality what soccer has become. And that's a good thing for everybody. Yeah, and that's an important point. Um, this article points to... Uh, I believe MLS is the third most popular league in the United States with Liga Mekis being number one and then the Premier League being the second. Uh, so it is a gathering of statistics across a multitude of leagues. And of course, we just saw La Liga signed a big contract with ESPN uh, for big money, which uh, brings hope towards MLS getting a big contract in a couple of years whenever they go to negotiate. But I think the, the important thing here is you, you spoke to it a little bit in your answer there is that... Um, it feels like there, there's been sports that have come through that have sort of been flash in the pans that have kind of gained popularity and kind of gone away quickly in the United States over the last 50 years or so. Uh, but s soccer feels like 
the infrastructure is really there. Like the, the people who have been in charge of this thing for a long time have, have really worked to uh, growing the, the sport at the grassroots level and kind of locking it in at the local level. And, and we're start, starting to see that growth nas- nationally, which is something uh, that I'm really excited about. Um, is that something that, that you kind of see or, or do you feel like do you feel like things like the World Cup and, 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 and the expansion of, um, uh, of soccer that we're able to get on TV is lending to these numbers? And now a word from today's sponsor, Bet Online would like to wish you a happy betting new year as we continue our march towards the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all betting action in 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BELIEVE. That's B. L-E-A-V to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, and of course soccer, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available in 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. I mean, I don't, I don't think that soccer is niche. Uh, I don't think it's underground anymore. And for, for a while there, it, it was. And certainly when I was growing up, before you were around, uh, it, it was. And it was a very Wild West type of existence. It has come above ground. Um, it is no longer niche. Like I said, uh, the you know the community and the... Um, and the family and that tent that first off the tent has grown so much bigger and the people that are in that tent are, are so, so many more. And, you know, this is an American soccer public that, like I said, that's really unique. It's incredibly discerning, you know, to your point about all the other leagues that influence, unlike many other countries and cultures out there, we have all of this different influence and therefore all of that competition. Now it's all soccer. Yes. But within that soccer ecosystem, there's all of this competition going on. And, and as I said, that's not necessarily um, a bad thing. But what it does do is create a unique soccer fan in the United States. That, like I said, is incredibly discerning, um, incredibly intelligent, uh, incredibly well versed on the world, as opposed to just specifically their their team or their country and culture and, and league. And that is that is a distinction relative to many uh, places around the world and certainly a lot of places in in uh in Europe. And I think, you know, that, that's a that's a good thing. And that's a that's a fun thing to see. And when I sit down with you or, or others, we have our, you know, our local or our regional affiliations and love our national affiliations and love. And then we also have our international affiliations and love. And so a typical American soccer fan, I think, is is so much more in tune with the world of soccer and wants to be they may think uh, you know, globally, but obviously they act act locally, uh, to borrow a phrase. And, yeah. and I think that that makes them, you know, much more um, diverse and, 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 as I said, much more appreciative maybe at times of the soccer that exists all over the world and in their own backyard. Yeah, the the American soccer fan right now, as you said, um, knows a lot about the game, knows a lot about a ton of different leagues around the world, which might be different than than a lot of fans out there. But it's also increasingly young, and that's something that is pointed out in the, in the statistics of the World Soccer article, is that soccer fans uh, on average are a lot younger than a lot of the fans for, uh, for a lot of the other leagues. They point to baseball specifically as having an average fan of like 57 years old, uh, whereas soccer, it's, it's like 30, uh, and for uh, kids that are, I believe it, it was like 
10 through 15 that soccer was the second most popular sport amongst them. And we're seeing that reflected in the fan base. Whereas uh, maybe whenever uh, a decade ago, whenever I was tracking Yanks abroad uh, on these websites that uh, had one line that said, you know, Josie out the door played 45 minutes and got a yellow card. And that was that was my Yanks abroad fix for the week. Uh, you know, now we have a, a ton of kids everywhere. Uh, I think before I remember interacting with soccer fans and they always seemed much older. They tended to always have beards. They were really into craft beer. <laughs> they had some uh, German club that they supported that, you know, nobody else cared about. But but now it's a, a much younger fan base. It seems like there's a much different energy amongst the fan base. Is that something that I'm noticing or, or have you seen that as well? Uh, how have you seen the, the fan base for American soccer kind of change over the years? I mean, it's it's absolutely something that is um, you know very important, and I think very valuable to the American soccer business. Let's be let, let's be honest. Notwithstanding my beard here, uh, I, I am an older <laughs> uh, person when it comes to the game, and it gives me a little bit of perspective. But you know what? Some things never change, and and the principles of business in that getting to people at an early age and creating customers for life, and if that lifespan is that many more decades than you know, the old, an older group, that's more beneficial to your your brand and to your product ultimately. And the product is soccer here. And so if you are an advertiser out there and you are, you know, hoping to target a specific demographic, uh, and it's not just age, it's uh, the diversity that I talked about, you know, the uh, Latino and Hispanic market, all of those different things. And then also the, the global and international aspect of it. You know, as you know, one of the things that attracts a lot of um, soccer fans in the United States to the game is that it, it's beyond their borders. And, you know, I think that there is a generation that really kind of wants that as part of their sports landscape and doesn't want to be so homogenous and, uh, and nationalistic about uh, the sports that they follow. And, you know, we, we understand, I mean, one of the things even at, at my, in my fifties here, you know, when I think back of what attracted me to the sport, Part of it was that I would go out on my on my sidewalk and I knew that there was a boy or girl my age on the other side of the world that I had very little in common with that was doing the exact same thing. And that to me was that to me was pretty cool. And look, I played hockey and, and football and baseball and basketball growing up and all these different sports and I love them. But that international aspect of it was really, really appealing. And I think that that I think that that drives a lot of the interest. And then you look at, you know, the FIFA game and all the different things. And let's be honest, there's gold in them, their hills. And so uh, products and, and uh, uh, businesses, which what is what these clubs are now look and just and not just clubs, but leagues look to the U.S. and have been going to it and not just European. You, know, you look at the Mexican uh, Federation and you look at the Mexican clubs. So th this is a. You know, this is an area and market that is ripe, and it is ripe to be ripe to be picked um, internationally and obviously domestically. And I think that bodes well for for future TV contracts and obviously for the future of the game here in the United States, uh, be it professional, men's, women's, multiple levels, and then just the ecosystem that it, that that occurs around a sport, um, having young blood and young influence. That's uh, you know that. That's what you want, and that's what every business and that's what every product wants to market to. Yeah, your comments regarding kind of the, the changing view of how um, how young people see the world just reminds me of like growing up with Sports Center and whenever you would come across like the one soccer highlight. I mean, it was just yeah. always filled with uh, just so much sarcasm and whatnot. And you know, whenever I would speak to older people about. <clears throat> 
about the game, it was always, you know, that's a European sport, and that was always a negative connotation. You know, you would hear, like, that's that's for communists, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and it seems like <laughs> younger people just don't have that at all. And they grew up, you know, watching YouTube highlights of Messi and Ronaldo and, and having these players uh, on, on TV commercials and just kind of a part of their life growing up. And it, it's no longer seen as, like, uh, American sports and like the rest of the world. Now it's it's a much more homogenous thing, and and yeah, I, I think that that all lends uh, to to that growth that you're speaking of. Uh, I think. Uh, let me just uh, let me just say something because I'm I'm coming to you from the, the the Fox offices here in Los Angeles, and so you know like Skip Bayless is down the hall, and Colin Colin Coward is, is down the other the hall, and you know uh, these guys. I, I worked with them back at ESPN before I was with Fox, and I will say that you're absolutely right in terms of. You know this this generation that now looks at soccer just like anything else. It's part of their it's part of their palette of sports out there, and that's that's a wonderful thing. And then there's those you know the dinosaurs will die off, but I'll I'll be honest with you, people like Skip and people like Colin, they recognize that if they are going to talk about sports, uh, you know, on, on these traditional types of platforms, they at least have to have a rudimentary understanding, and more importantly to me, a respect. And and I, and I'll tell you what. Even back in, the, in my ESPN days, both of those guys at different times would seek me out in the hallway just to pick my brain a little bit, just to talk about soccer. And look, they, neither one of them would hold up their hands as, as experts when it comes to soccer. But even that, that gesture and that moment, that signified something. That signified a change. And now we're talking about, you know, when I work with the great John Strong, John Strong is living his dream. It's what he has wanted to do. And now, I, you know, I talk to some of these, uh, you, you know, young men and women that are in college that are that are looking to do things like you're doing and they look at soccer not as a stepping stone not as a, a a way station to something better and for a long time that's what it has been but a lot you know of this generation now growing up their ideal their hopes their aspirations their dreams are to work in the industry relative specifically to soccer and that again warms my heart it makes me so happy that there is a generation right now that looks at it like that and more importantly there's an infrastructure being created to accommodate them. There's so many more opportunities now when it comes to meet. It's not easy, and it's still very difficult relative to other sports, but it's so much better than it used to be. Well, let's talk a little bit about that in industry because the the main league in the United States, of course, is MLS, and uh, MLS is, is a league that's grown tremendously in the last 25 years. Uh, however, there's still a long way to go, and I, I think – for Americans, we're always going to have this mentality that it's not going to be good enough until it's the best, right? I think that that's just how we are wired uh, as Americans and, and, and just how we see the world. And and we forget that MLS is at this point, like there's a lot, there, one of the big debates recently was whenever James Sands went to the Scottish Premier League, uh, the debate was, is that a lateral move or is that an upward move? And it's so interesting because I remember whenever Carlos Bocanegra and Maurice Adu were playing in the uh, in this uh, uh, the Scottish Premier League, that was seen as like a, a th those were big clubs at the time. Uh, and and right. part of that is because of the <laughs> Scottish Premier League has gone down, but part of that is because MLS has gone up, and 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 we're seeing MLS as at a level with some of these um, like the Belgian league, the Scottish league, some of these lower tier uh, European leagues, but. Of course, we want more. We want to be uh, parallel with those big five leagues. And 
we've got some big things ahead of us in in, in Major League Soccer. The first is going to be uh, is going to be that negotiation for the TV deal. That's the main thing on the headline. But I, uh, but I think the second thing is going to be that 2026 World Cup, uh, which is not that far away, all things considered. And, and we know what kind of impact that a World Cup can have on a soccer culture, uh, and, and what kind of impact a World Cup can have whenever it's in your own backyard. We know the 1994 World Cup kind of started the modern era of what we know as as American soccer. So with those two things on the horizon, what do you think is, is the growth of this league and the sport of this country in, in the next decade? Well, I think you hit on right on the head in terms of the two kind of seminal moments. Um, one from a business perspective, and I guess both from a business perspective, but, you know, much more so. I mean, this, this next contract, everyone looks to it to kind of um, represent where you are and where you're going. Uh, we all know that TV contracts and sports are the um, the ultimate measurement of how big you are, how popular are you are, and more importantly, from an asset perspective, how much you're appreciating. And you know, from a, relative to most other sports, Major League Soccer has had a a, a paltry and small type of uh, of contract. I don't know what the next one's going to look like. Obviously, it's it's happening at a time and in a landscape that has changed dramatically just over the last the last 10 years. And now you have, you know, Amazons and and streaming uh, that are big players in the game. And so there's the question of, of uh, what's uh, what's going to happen. Regardless, whatever it ends up being, I mean, it's going to be more. It's just about a matter of how much more and therefore what does that <clears throat> what does that say about where MLS and I guess soccer is going. And then you have 2026 We've seen already people trying to get their ducks in the row and not just Major League Soccer, but soccer in general, because that's a that's a wonderful signpost or lamppost, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, th this rampway uh, that we have, while it looks long right now, to your point, it's going to come very, very quickly and you want to use it. And the circus is going to come and leave town. But what is it going to what is it going to leave? You know, I'm talking to you today because of the 1994 World Cup. I am a uh, you know, I'm a product of uh, the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. And that's going to happen again in a whole other stratosphere and level because of the very different landscape that that World Cup in 2026 is going to be relative to 1994. But still, it's an opportunity. And leagues have to use it. Teams have to use it. Players have to use it. The sport in general has to use it. The Federation, all of them have to use it. And I think they will um, plan. But it, this is these are, all, these are all good things, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't take planning, um, smart planning, um, and an understanding that this opportunity doesn't come along often. And so when it does, you've got to maximize it both on and off the field. You know, you have a firsthand knowledge of uh, the, the early days of MLS. You, you were one of the, uh, you, you weren't in the first year, right? You were, you were, yeah, you I was, were second yeah, I was year? there from the very you first, were first yeah, year. First, okay. Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, I, I, we've all heard accounts of, um, of what it was like in the league at that time of like, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken meals after games and, you know, uh, <laughs> not great uh, hotels, not great transportation, all that stuff and, and kind of all that that entails, players having second jobs and, and stuff. I don't think enough is made of how quickly the league has grown, but I'm curious as someone who um, who was both a player in those early days and you uh, were administrator in one of those big eras like the Beckham era, whenever, you know, that all the circus really came to town for MLS. What were some kind of landmarks for you along the way where, where you saw them and you were like, man, things are really changing in, in this league? Yeah, I mean, so even within the, the time that I played, the seven or eight years that I was around, 
you know, I saw dramatic change and whether it was the increase in salary, whether it was, um, you know, players forming an association, whether it was obviously the infrastructure and the stadiums, the soccer specific stadiums coming online, even expansion uh, uh, and I guess retraction to it at a certain point. So that all happened within the space of 10 years. Uh, and it was amazing to see and to be a part of it. You know, it's interesting. I'm coming to you, like I said, from the Fox studios here, and we're about to record uh, my podcast, the State of the Union podcast. And one of the things that we're talking about today, myself and, and David Mossy, is um, the love, the love David that, Mossy, by the way, Big he's fan. Awesome. I'll tell him, I'll tell him you said, Hey, <laughs> uh, my mom loves him. Everybody loves David. I get it. I get it. No, he's, he's wonderful. And, and he makes this show and believe me, makes us all smarter and better with what's going on. But one of the things we're talking about today is that massive change that has happened. And you have a generation right now that's waking up today that knows of none of the challenges and the problems and the real difficulties that existed on and off the field starting in 19, but not just starting in 1996, let's be honest, going back into the seventies and the eighties. Um, and it, it was, it was complete wild West. And now they wake up and they are, they are given, and this isn't me grumpy old manning this thing, but they are given everything. And I take great pride in the fact that they have no clue about what happened before, that they get up and they are, you know, many of them from a very young age have wonderful coaching, wonderful facilities, uh, medical uh, opportunities, uh, educational opportunities, all of these different things. And they are they are put in this cocoon to develop and given every opportunity to succeed. And don't have to go through some of the the twists and turns and the problems that so many of us uh, had to go through. And that's a wonderful thing. That's what we've that's what we've worked to create. And so when I think back to your point, when I think back about the beginning of Major League Soccer, yeah, we were trying to figure it out, and it was uh, you know fake it till you make it. And and we have we've we've made it to a certain extent. We still got a long way to go. But I mean, what, those kids when they wake up today. Uh, I'm happy that they are in a much better place in, in the same way that as parents, you want you want your your kids future to be better than you than you had it. It's just the same. I mean, I'm, I'm a proud papa, as we all are, and all the men and women that worked so hard to create this. And these are, in, in essence, our soccer kids and they are being given more. And but with that comes higher expectations. And, and that's a that's a good thing. And so when we see a a Ricardo Pepe, for example, you know, not that he didn't struggle and work, but the opportunities that he has relative to previous generations are night and day. And that's a good mm -hmm. thing. The pathways are wider. They're more abundant. I mean, I, I'm, I went to Europe because I starred in a world cup. You shouldn't have to star in a world cup to get those opportunities. And now we're seeing players that basically don't even play in major league soccer, even a game and are getting, uh, getting transfers and, and getting opportunities over there. So that, that's wonderful news. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, those behind the crest videos that U.S. soccer puts out are always fabulous. And one of my favorite things to see is whenever the U.S. is playing a home game in an MLS stadium, you get to see inside the locker room. And the locker rooms are ridiculous in these new stadiums. <laughs> I remember listening to an Orange Slices podcast where Mark McKenzie, I believe, was interviewing Jean-Luc Abusio. And they were talking about how whenever they signed their contracts in Europe, uh, they had this realization that in leaving MLS, they were going to leave the best facilities they will ever see because the sure. facilities in MLS at a lot of these places are just top flight. Now, you mentioned that uh, 
with the with the 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 new crop of, of U.S. soccer fans, with a group of fans that have never not known a, a world without MLS, uh, that have never not known a world where. Uh, where soccer was on TV, um, there are different expectations. And of course, with this new crop of American players that we have that are playing on some of the best teams in the world, the expectations have risen a bunch. And, and with those expectations have come a lot of criticisms, criticisms uh, of the coach, criticisms of the federation, criticisms of MLS. But one thing is criticisms of the media. We've been seeing that um, a lot lately. So uh, you're a guy who's, who's always not far from controversy. Uh, and, and that's been kind of your MO throughout your career. Uh, I, I'm curious your thoughts on, on kind of the, um, the bevy of criticism that the media has been receiving from, from fans uh, lately. I mean, I think it's, it's relative to the fact that, you know, while, while other sports, first off, have such a long history and tradition of, of traditional type of media and just the sheer amount. Um, and so when it comes to soccer, it's, it's limited. And therefore, in a strange way, it, it becomes amplified because there are fewer voices, fewer megaphones. They, they, are, that much, they are that much louder. But, you know, with, with the evolution and the growth of any sport, uh, all of it's going to evolve, including media. And, you know, what is a platform? What is a, what is a broadcast now? Well, there's, there's so many more definitions and there's so many more opportunities and avenues and platforms from which to get the word out. And this is, you know, this is a good thing because we, we don't, we don't monopolize the talk when it comes to, to the traditional platforms out there. So we have to find different ways. And with that is going to come criticism. And look, I, I, I take it every single day. I'm, I've been doing this for decades. So it, Nobody likes to be criticized, but when it's done, I think in a fair and respectful and a civil way. And then, by the way, that doesn't mean that it can't be um, emotional and passionate and that you can't use um, biting words or anything like that. I mean, I'm a big boy. You're a big boy. We can we can figure this all out when we are criticized. And some of it is, is, is fair. Some of it isn't. But it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I just whether it whether it's directed at me or anybody else in the media, I enjoy that because that to me signifies progress that to me, I equate that with big time sports. And if we are going to be big time, then everything is going to be critiqued and criticized, including individuals, including the media as a, as an entity. And ultimately I think it leads to, it leads to more, it leads to more debate. I don't think we have enough discussion and debate when it comes to our sport. And, and a lot of it is kind of hidden at the bar or on the couch or wherever and but it's starting to come out and that's what drives a lot of the other sports i mean you know last night people are talking about the dallas cowboys and not being able to mm -hmm. finish it and that play and all that kind of stuff and that's the water cooler talk whether you're an nfl fan or a dallas cowboy fan or not you you saw it it went it came on your radar and for soccer to grow that type of stuff has to be consistent yeah it I always say that there's only like three real discussions in, in U.S. soccer, and we always just kind of rehash those discussions in different ways. And, and one of the main ones is uh, MLS versus Europe. Um, mm -hmm. that, that is always uh, just a point of contention among fans, and you're kind of uh, drawn into a, a pool based on your beliefs. Are you an MLS guy or are you a European guy, even though I, I don't know if it's quite that clear. Uh, but anyway, you're certainly a guy who, who catches a lot of heat for uh, being an MLS guy, uh, being a shill. Uh, shill, promoting, MLS shill. Yeah, yeah, MLS shill, there you go, promoting MLS. 
I remember, I believe it was during the Gold Cup. Maybe you can help me remember one of the time, one of the most recent times where you just caught so much flack uh, on Twitter was whenever you put out uh, this graphic um, that uh, had your your uh, your depth chart for the center backs. Uh, and two of the center backs that you had on your depth chart were Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman. And people just couldn't believe that you had Walker Zimmerman as one of your top five center backs in the pool. And look at us now, and a lot of people have Walker Zimmerman as the starting center back next to Miles Robinson, two MLS guys. Mm-hmm. So I, I do want to give you credit for that. I thought uh, that was yeah, so funny blind, how that kind of came full circle. Once in a while, blind squirrel finding a nut, you know. But what are your thoughts <laughs> on this? Uh, where, plenty of times when I'm wrong. Of course, you uh, you played in MLS, you worked in MLS, and now you work on a network that covers MLS, you cover MLS games. Uh, you're definitely always going to be an MLS guy. Uh, but what do you think about that uh, that that whole discussion and that labeling and, and, and all of that entails? I think it's I think it's easy. I get it. I totally understand. And, and I will raise my hand and to your point, admit, um, yeah, I I. I love MLS and it will always have a place in my heart for, you know, like like we talked about, I was there from the first whistle. I was there from its birth and I saw it grow. And, you know, I I think in general, the American soccer community, we have a sensitivity. I talk all the time about our, uh, our insecurity and our inferiority complex that we, it's starting to dissipate, but this civil war that we now have within our community um, is really something interesting. Once again, I, I don't think that it's necessarily detrimental. It can get boring after a while, but it is, it, you, you can't deny it or dismiss it. And there are those that absolutely firmly think, whether they say it out loud or not, that if you are in Europe, you are a better player. And that, I categorically deny that that is, that that is true. First off, <clears throat> Uh, you know, I talk about form being fallacy. So just because a player is playing well or, or poorly at a certain place doesn't mean they can't play well, because this is always in the context of the national team, right? Doesn't mean that they can't play well uh, for the national team. And in the same way, that just because a player is an MLS player and therefore labeled and in, in many eyes tainted doesn't mean that they can't star in a World Cup. I mean, we can go back. Look, myself and Kobe Jones starred in a World Cup. and We had never even been on the books of a club. Okay, let alone an MLS club. Then even 98, the failure failure that it was, people like Eddie Pope and Frankie Haydick, they're the ones that starred. Right. And then you go to 2002, Demarcus Beasley and Landon Donovan. And the list goes on and on and on. And even, you know, the uh, the uh, when we see the recent uh, teams, it's always going to be a mix. And I, and I do think and appreciate and respect that Greg Berhalter recognizes that there's this huge pot of talent that we have. And much of it is playing over in Europe. But he recognizes that he just has to pick the best players. It's not about it, – it has to pick the best collection of players. Once again, it's not about the best players. It's about the best collection of players. And he recognizes that it doesn't care – it doesn't matter where they're from. Now, are you going to hedge your bets at times? And are people that play overseas going to give them the benefit of the doubt? Yeah, that's just human nature. I, I understand that. But I, I will have this argument all the time. And, you know, a, a Walker Zimmerman, for me – He's just a great center back. He's just a great center back that happens to play in Major League Soccer. He'd be a great center back if he was playing for Liverpool or any, or any place else uh, in the world. And we can, and we can, ha- when we, when you say that, it blows people's a certain percentage of people out there. It blows their minds because they can't wrap their little minds around the fact that somebody playing in MLS. And once again, it's this undercurrent of resentment and and once again insecurity and inferiority 
that just bubbles to the surface, which enable well, make, means that they just can't. They cannot fathom that somebody could be good and playing in MLS. And it's it's interesting because we see a lot of evidence of that. I mean, Ricardo Pepe was playing for FC Dallas uh, not too long ago and gets this transfer over to Augsburg in the Bundesliga, a league that's supposed to be and is far superior to MLS. But he gets a he gets to play in his first game and he gets a start in his second game and he doesn't look like he doesn't belong. You know, he doesn't look like he's a step off the pace. Uh, same thing with uh, Jean-Luc Abusio came right out of uh, Kansas City, uh, gets a start in Serie A and kind of gets a string of starts from there. Um, uh, Joe Scally didn't actually play in MLS, but he goes mm-hmm. over to Borussia Mönchengladbach and doesn't seem to uh, be missing a step over there. Uh, we see Daryl DK leave. Uh, Orlando go right to the championship and just kind of integrate right there. So I don't see this, you know, if it if it truly is that MLS is very far behind the rest of the world, you would see that whenever these players transfer, there would be a, a time where they need to improve. I mean, for some players, we see it like a um, like a Brian Reynolds. Uh, he gets put on the shelf over at Roma and, and uh, is a project player. But you would think that if it was true that this league was so far behind the rest of these leagues, we would see that from all the players, that it would be a reverse, that um, the, the players that break through would be um, less than the players that don't break through. And that's not what we're seeing yeah. right now. So it's, yeah, I mean, like, it, it, how is it possible that Alfonso Davies, whose only experience was playing in Major League Soccer, and playing, by the way, for not a great team in Major League Soccer, and he becomes the best left back in the world, arguably the best left back in the world, playing for arguably one of the great teams. How is it possible that that, uh, that, that can happen? I will say this. When you're doing the compare and contrast with leagues, and you, you, know, you said that, that this is a better league and this is a better league. First off, I can't tell you what the best league is any more than I can tell you what you know, a good bottle of wine is, or a good looking person is, or a great piece mm-hmm. of music, or, or it's, it's subjective. It's, it's left to interpretation. Um, you know, I can tell you what the most popular league is. I can tell you what the most expensive league is. Um, and I can tell you where most of the world uh, gravitates to, but I can't tell you what the, what the best league in the world. And when you're comparing and contrasting MLS, as you know, the structure of major league soccer is so unique and it's not being replicated pretty much anywhere else in the world. And so the experience that some of these players have is, is very different and very unique as opposed to many other, other, other uh, countries and cultures and leagues where you have the haves and the have-nots. We have the, you know, the manufactured parity and the salary cap and the restrictions. And yeah, there's some separation. But I, I think that they are playing in a, very, a, a league that because it's not that traditional haves and have-nots, they, people tend to look down on it. Uh, and some would say, listen, we'd be better off if we actually did have a structure where there were, you know, your super clubs and the haves and the elites. And that's where basically all the, the, the big time players came out of and then kind of everybody else. But we certainly don't have that. And so, you know, these players and Alfonso Davies, for example, is getting a competition that's really, really unique. And I, does, I do think serves them well. doesn't mean they're all going to be successful. Some of them might flat out fail. But if, if your only objective is to get to Europe, there's flights leaving every hour on the hour from JFK to LAX and everywhere in between. But getting to that right place that is a step up to your point and does make you a better player and you're able to deal with not just the 90 minutes on the field, but the other 22 and a half hours off the field that sometimes we, we fail to recognize is so important. That's, that's a bigger feat and a bigger trick. 
Yeah, and another point uh, that, that kind of differentiates MLS to just about every other league in the world is the amount of teams. There's like 30 teams in MLS. There's just about 20 teams in most leagues yeah. in the world. Sometimes right. it's a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. So you're talking about 10 more teams. So to really compare MLS to a league like the Bundesliga, you'd have to take the Bundesliga and then the top 10 teams in uh, the two Bundesliga. Uh, and, and, you know, once you get beyond the Bundesliga, it really falls off in quality. In fact, at the bottom of the Bundesliga, it really falls off in quality. You look like you look at a team like Gerda Firth that uh, is just really difficult to watch um, from a quality standpoint. I mean, a lot of us watch Augsburg this weekend and just – the, the amount of technical issues that, that those players have relative to like MLS players, it doesn't seem like that big of a gap. I mean, right. Uh, right. But, but anyway, what, I was having a discussion uh, about something similar to this with the EPL, where the EPL, in order to grant work permits uh, to, to teams, it's, it's relative to the league that you play in. And uh, they have a bunch of tiers of leagues. Uh, mm -hmm. So like the top tier would be like the uh, Spanish Premier League, Bundesliga, stuff like that. Uh, MLS is in the fourth tier, and they're in the fourth tier with like the two Bundesliga uh, and, and a lot of smaller leagues around the world. Like Liga Mekis, for instance, is in the third tier. Uh, and it's... It's, it's interesting to me, that's, that's a point that a lot of people use to show that like MLS is not a very good league. Uh, and it's in that tier based on the coefficients whenever you look at uh, the league world ranking coefficients, which as you said is, is, I mean, who the hell knows what that even means? Like, how do you even come to that? But I, I find it fascinating that you look at a league like Liga Amekis, that the amount of players that they're producing that are going on to bigger and better things compared to MLS and the amount of players that they're producing that go into bigger, better things. Uh, I, I wonder why the uh, relative quality of the league or the coefficient of the league is a more important determining factor than the quality of the talent that it's producing, which I think is just a much more important factor and why England is purposely removing itself or making it more difficult to enter the American market, the largest English-speaking market in the world for the largest English-speaking league in the world. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It might speak to... Uh, uh, the the inferiority complex on the opposite side of the pond, sure, yeah. kind of that you were referring to earlier, and, and just uh, the snobbery, the snobbery or the elitism in terms of the way that they 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 look and look down their nose at times, and and look they're they're, they're hurting themselves because if you're elite, you want to be able to get the best possible quality for the for the product that you're putting on the uh, on the field, and and you know this brings up a good point because. Um, you know, playing in Europe and, like I said, getting to that right place isn't just dependent on your ability. There's a lot of good players that don't necessarily have opportunities and don't go to Europe. And, you know, even a work permit, you know, we talk so much in this day and age about privilege and advantage and, and all these different things. Well, you know, if you have a ability to get a work permit, that sets you apart and that gives you an advantage over maybe a player that's as good if, or maybe even a player that's uh, that's better. And we all take advantage in, of, of opportunities that we have and we make our own uh, own pathway, but it's, it's not easy. I hope that changes by, by the way. And, and if I'm the, if I'm the EPL, I'm looking at it and say, why are we shooting ourselves in the foot doing some of this stuff, especially with the sheer numbers that are starting to come out. And, you know, as I said, we're going to talk about this on the, uh, on, on the podcast this week is, you know, just this, this churning that now has pretty much become consistent in terms of every transfer window of talent being 
first off, mm-hmm. nurtured and, and fostered, um, and then a lot of it matriculating up to you know big teams, but then more importantly, being marketed to the world and the world saying, yeah, we're in, we're, we're buying. And not just the, you know, the, the EPL, but we talk about Bundesliga, especially Bundesliga, let's be honest. Um, and what it looks like in the future as this continues to go on. And this is what we, this is what we wanted. And by the way, for all the criticism and, and some of it fair of the system's broken and we got to you know, revamp everything in the structure. You know, these are the fruits of seeds that were planted in what is arguably the worst and, and most depressing and darkest moment in our soccer history, not qualifying for the World Cup back in uh, the 2018 World Cup. So in, in 2017 in that, that Kuva game, you know, everyone was saying, oh, we got to blow it up and we got to change. Well, little did we know that those seeds were not only planted, but they were starting to grow and starting to, you know, so now we're starting to reap that. And so I think a lot of people deserve a lot of credit for the work that went on. And, and as I said, we're not, we're not done yet. We still got a long way to go, but sometimes we like to kick ourselves for what we haven't done as a soccer playing mm-hmm. nation. And I think it's, sometimes it's also important to pat ourselves on the back. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting point. I always, I always think about that, that the, the administration that was in charge of uh, the team at that time that missed the World Cup always just gets so much flack. But it was that very administration that is responsible for creating the things on the grassroots that led to the creation of these. I mean, Christian Pulisic was already a part of the team. He was 17 years old at that time. Yeah. But I mean, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, uh, Giovanni Reina, just all the players today uh, right. that we pat on ourselves on the back for. It was those people in that it, it, uh, U.S soccer administration uh that seed like as you said planted the seeds that led to the growth of those players as we were coming down on those people uh for missing out on the world cup they were also doing the things on the back end uh th- then again i'm not saying that they shouldn't uh it, it shouldn't have been a clean house i mean if you miss a world oh, cup yeah, that yeah, is a yeah. failure a, you know a, that it, fa- it's all part of it absolutely last thing i want to talk to you about because i want to let you go is is the future um and i do think that we're sitting in a, in a unique moment in time right now uh, a lot of people have, have talked about um Don Garber, and I know this is a thing that you bring up often, is, is Don Garber in the early days always talked about league, uh, MLS as a league of choice. Uh, and it seems like in this moment in time, MLS has shifted to a selling league. Uh, and, and I wonder if that is something that is based on uh, a, a true change in focus or if it's just uh, the economics lining up correctly to make that happen. And I say that because with this upcoming TV agreement, I wonder if we're going to reach a point where uh, the salaries that these players are chasing after in Europe that they're able to get, and, and the, it is a big bump up. Um, you know, we, we never know the exact numbers on salaries, but uh, I saw whenever Mark McKenzie made his move to Belgium that he went from being uh, on about uh, $700,000 a year in MLS to being at about 1.5-ish in Belgium. So, you know, it's, it's a big jump up that MLS yeah. just isn't able to replicate. But I wonder if we get to the point where we get the new TV deal, uh, if especially for the, the players who are jumping ship to kind of the lower tier leagues, uh, if, if that's going to be a bit of a wash. And we're going to come into a situation where uh, players are making the same amount of money staying in MLS and you also kind of look at quality of life because, I mean, look at Ricardo Pepe, for instance. He's leaving Dallas, uh, one of the most happening cities in the country, you know, a, 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 a very um, uh, um, 
a city where you know you can have Amazon packages delivered uh, day uh, in one day, and, and it's a huge city, a great city for for a young kid to grow up in, and a city that his family lives in to Augsburg, which is a smaller city. I believe it's uh, outside of Munich. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. It's in Bavaria. Uh, I remember it's in Germany. I, I was listening. To, yeah, <laughs> I was listening to a podcast with Manuel Veth the other day, and the uh, the host asked him about Augsburg and uh, what was Augsburg like, and he said, "Well, it's an hour away from Munich." That was, or uh, 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 yeah, Munich. That's correct. Uh, so that was like the, the big thing it. about it. I mean, it's a, it's a matter. small suburb <laughs> town, you know, in a lot of these towns that these players are going to are, are not exactly, uh, big fun cities to go to in England. Uh, if you listen to, uh, Mark McKenzie, uh, on his podcast, talk about the small city in Belgium that he's in. Uh, he went from growing up, I believe he grew up in New York and then he went to Philly, which are big, exciting cities. And then he goes to this small Belgian town. Uh, same could be said for like Josie Altador, whenever he ended up in Alkmaar. Um, I'm wondering if we're going to get to a point, uh, where, it's not going to be as exciting to go over to Europe and we're going to have a, a league that uh, is, is becoming more of a league of choice and fans are going to get very upset uh, because these players are not getting shift off to Europe at the rate that they are right now. Yeah, I mean, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. You know, first off, to, uh, to your point about, you know, Mark McKenzie or, or, or others, uh, look, I, I know that they, they have wanted this experience, but the grass is not always greener. And it, you would be surprised at how many players are, you know, once the the romance of actually playing in Europe is, you've experienced it, that's all fine and well. But if you could do the same thing and make the same money um, and live in that country and culture that you grew up in, that is really appealing. And so I was, I was pleasantly surprised to actually see Dallas, I, the irony that it was Dallas that did this, when they signed uh, Jesus Ferreira. Uh, as a designated player and paid him a couple million dollars, that's what you need to do to make it a league of choice. You need to make it a league of choice for all players, including domestic players that potentially could be your stars uh, going forward. And it's not that Jesus Ferreira isn't going to possibly go to Europe or anything like that, but they recognize that this is a player we developed. And now the, the fruits of our labors are actually going to have him be scoring goals for us on the first team. For people that are buying season tickets, it's a star, and we are going to pay him a lot of money and, you know, life-changing type of money. And that's, that, that's a good thing, and you need to do that. The problem is, is that domestic talent is not as sexy, um, either from a, um, a marketing standpoint or from a pure business standpoint, oftentimes in terms of that, that, that sell-on. We talked a little bit of how it's changing, but people get excited when you bring in talent as opposed to when you manufacture talent. But to, to Dom Garter, Garber's point, um, if I'm a season ticket holder or a potential season ticket holder, I don't care about youth development, okay? That's all fine and well, but what kind of team are you gonna put on the field? And is it a team that I believe is going to compete? Because it does me no good as a season ticket holder to be, to, you know, that pride wears off very quickly of that player that was in our system and then we sold him and maybe I saw him for a year Maybe saw him for a couple of games, or maybe I didn't even see him at all. But he has that FC Dallas, or has that Real Salt Lake, or you know, insert your team here, pedigree. That 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 doesn't sell me. I know for some people they they love it, but for me it doesn't sell it. And I think I'm not alone in that. It's so you got to be able to say, hey, we are not we are not a farm team, okay? We are not a minor league. 
yes, we are growing. And yes, there are leagues and teams that are bigger than us. And yes, we are going to be involved in the global marketplace. But ultimately, I want to know that the team that I'm going to give money to and support is going to do everything it can to put the best product on the field and not just step back and be proud of the sales that they have had from a development standpoint. Because that, to me, that, that signifies right there that you are not wholly focused and concerned with giving me the best possible product on the field. Yeah, and that, that speaks to uh, that whole American mindset that we're not okay with being a, a very good league. We want to be the Hell best no. league in the world, and we're not going to be satisfied until we are. Alexi, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I think I can say that you are the best soccer player that's ever been on the Yank Report, so um, <laughs> take that for what it is. Boy, I uh, know that is a low bar, my friend. Man, <laughs> we got to get you some more guests over here. Well, let me, let me just say that, that, that I appreciate everything that, that you are doing. Uh, and all the work that you do, and I know it, at, at times it can be uh, it can be thankless, but uh, thank you uh, ultimately because you know I, I and I say this often, uh, but I, because I I think it's important. You know, we we started off talking about this this new platform and this new and and the unique ways that soccer people have found to get the voice out, and there's so many guys like myself that kick the ball that oftentimes get a lot of attention and, and credit, but the reality is that there's so many other people that are pushing that boulder and and you are you are one of them you are one of many men and women in front of the camera behind the camera that are you know going out there and doing it and creating things and creating the discussions and the debates that I was talking about having and it uh, from an older guy if you will thank you for for you and your generation and what you are doing for soccer because it is as important as anybody that's kicking the ball and I ultimately I think at times it can be more important because you will you will sustain and you will last and you will document what is this incredible, um, vibrant, beautiful, passionate, crazy, ridiculous uh, American soccer culture that we have uh, uh, that we have grown uh, and grown to love. Well, it's it's been a it's been a fun ride so far. Uh, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. You're about to record the podcast. Can you tell, take a second to tell people about the podcast? Yeah, so the State of the Union podcast, myself and David Mossy, uh, a, a soccer savant and a great friend of mine, we've been doing this now for, for many years um, out of the Fox uh, studios here. Today is out of the Fox studios. Sometimes we're doing it remote. Sometimes we're on the on the road and all that kind of stuff. And it's fun. It's, uh, you know, as we say, it's a, a look at the beautiful game through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. And so we try to, you know, we've been talking about this American soccer tent and, and all these different loves and passions that we have in it it's impossible to cover all of it let's be honest i mean uh, we're not all savants like uh, like david mossy but we try to give people just a taste of what's going on each week obviously uh, you know we're focused on it from an american perspective but you know that also means that we're following all the americans that are that are doing great things around the world and doing great things here in the united states men's women's all different types of uh, uh, levels we don't claim to be experts on all of them and we certainly don't delve into them at uh, at the you know the you know the uh, the grassroots type of uh, of level, but we give you just a taste each and every week, which is which is good because um, there's so much of it going on uh, going on out there, and we want to we want to try to give people an idea of what's going on and and things that we want to talk about. Yeah, as someone who uh, struggles to pronounce a lot of names, specifically Bundesliga names, but I recently got corrected for saying Norwich wrong, uh, and that's an English word, but boy, the EPL words can be just as difficult to pronounce as some of the uh, the German and Italian and whatever else words, hey, so hey, I'm, listen, I'm eternally envious off, of David Mossy. <laughs> I, 
and, and first off, don't let any English man or woman ever try to correct you on pronunciation. This is a country and culture that still hasn't figured out how to how to uh, pronounce Roberto Martinez. They put a oh, damn yeah. accent over 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 the Martinez. vowel. If you need any indication, there's the freaking accent, and they still can't get it right. Oh yeah, <laughs> David Villa. Oh yeah, uh, very familiar. Go. Alexi, go. thank you oh. so much for coming on. Guys, si puede hablar español, dígame en comentario en español. Uh, for Alexi Lalas, my name is Sam, and this is the Anchor Report. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.